1: Wake up, America, before it's too late. The
2: Steve Day Show.
3: And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thank you for tuning in here today, live and on demand on blaze tv radio and podcast i am steve dace he's todd erzin and he is aaron mcintyre coming up a little bit later on today we will continue our theology thursday series on know thy enemy a nefarious bible study a six-week look at spiritual warfare through the lens of our film i don't know if you guys saw i shared this last night on social media collider which is one of the big movie chronicle not quite a hollywood reporter or variety but it's maybe that next level of, uh, of you know, movie business journal did a glowing review.
2: Even uh, more glowing than the Saturday Evening Post.
3: Yeah. I mean, they did a glowing. In fact, many times they kept saying, this is a Christian movie and we cannot believe how good this is. I mean, that's essentially their review. I mean, and how did these Christians manage to make a horror film that doesn't include any of the perverse, grotesque, you know, uh, profane elements that Hollywood thinks has to be in every single horror film. And this one's better than most of the movies in this in this subgenre, this exorcism, you know, demonic possession subgenre that Hollywood makes. Even they even said, hey, not our worldview, man, but Flannery's performance doing these theological and philosophical monologues was so captivating and so good. We didn't even care. So why are they reviewing our movie, you know, 10 months after it came out? Well, because it's available for free on Amazon Prime right now, you know? And so lots more people are seeing it are seeing it for the first time, so we got a a glowing review of our film at Collider. That's I mean, that was for me as a guy who used to, you know, read this website for movie, you know, stuff back in the day, that was kind of cool just to read about my own movie in there, you know? Well,
4: this movie is i mean a lot of movies that steve that you and i think of as household names mm-hmm. in, they they become almost um you know part of part of the 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 subculture but more than you think start off with a story like this they did they didn't have the big grand opening it was word of mouth. it was drip 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 and then one, once it caught and you don't know where that line is then everybody knows about it i mean God is clearly continuing to work in mysterious ways with this film. He is, and I, and I hope he continues to
3: to work to reimburse my investors. They're almost completely in the black, so um, on the books we are, we still got to collect that money, so I hope he still works on the collections aspect of that so we can pay everybody back. Alright, so, uh, but we're going to continue our nefarious Bible study looking at spiritual warfare week two, that's coming up uh, next hour, also next hour, three non-political questions. Uh, my daughter, Anna Anastasia will be here. Not sure how much longer we're going to have her, man. I mean, she is uh, getting ready for maternity leave, so uh, we'll take advantage of having her for as long as we can. Bottom of the hour, Megan Basham is going to join us from Daily Wire, but it's really about a piece that she has written over at First Things. You may be shocked, shocked, I tell you, to hear that those who are attempting to inject the spirit of the age into the church are being paid to do so by that exact same spirit of the age. I know, I know. Innocence lost. Whatever innocence you had left. Whatever naivete you were clinging to of a simpler time. Now you are clutching pearls and thinking, I can't believe this. I can't even, even but alas, poor Horatio, it's true. Uh, and so she did the research on this and will give us those details coming up at the uh, at the bottom the of the spirit hour.
4: Spirit of the age is a blessing of liberty, Steve. It, it is. But I, I think, you know, and
3: I'll talk to Megan about this. We need to go further than this because the other side is trying to do the same thing. There are people in the Pentecostal movement. There are people in the Southern Baptist Convention who literally get paid to sell access to Republican politicians, particularly the uh, once and perhaps future president of the United States. Um, That shouldn't happen. There shouldn't be any money changers in the temple for anybody. Correct. Because you know what happens when you put them there? When you, when, the, when you put them there, then you, you, the salt doesn't have the same savor anymore. It may, it may not be willing to go to the king anymore and say, thou art the man, because the king looks at you and says, thou is my man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how you like that check, homie? You know? And that's why, I, if, if there's one, th- there are several things this culture needs. But man, we could use pastoral accountability on multiple fronts. <laughs> I know. That's I know. No. But man, we, we could. Somebody with somebody from a transcendent institution that, it, you know, operates outside of our cultural biases that just comes in with a with with, with the divine rule book and either, you know, blesses or throws flags. We, we could use some of that. Instead of this land of the judges, moral subjectivism we have right yep. now. You do you, YOLO. Basically, that's our theology right now. Our, uh, well, I, I, we don't have a theology right now. Our ecclesiology is YOLO. That's basically what it is. Okay. I mean, if, if we add now to have that, we, we need some, a fleet of pastors worthy of b- submitting to on, on that level. But one of the reasons we don't, even especially in, if you're talking Pentecostals and Southern Baptists, those are two of the last denominations left on in American Protestantism, and there's not many left in the Southern Baptist Convention. So we're really we're heavily reliant on Charismatics right now. They're, those are the last two vestiges of places where corporately they are attempting to to really hold on to orthodoxy right now.
4: One of the great stories of Christendom is when and he's your jam, <laughs> Saint Augustine. Well, his spiritual mentor, Saint Ambrose, he made the emperor. I believe it was Theodosius. Repent hmm. by kneeling by himself in the snow. He came calling. That's just, exactly what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I know it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, why do you think that's how Saint Augustine turned out to be Saint Augustine? I mean, why I, you like him so much? It was like uh, uh, we're, we're playing for real stakes here, all the way up the chain.
3: That is sorely needed around here. Yes, right now. Hey, if you are in the Nashville area, I am coming or just don't mind making a drive and you live in Tennessee. I am coming your way on February 3rd. I will be speaking at the Freedom First event for Tennessee Stands on February 3rd. Freedom First event for Tennessee Stands on February 3rd. Pardon me. If you want to get tickets to this event, TennesseeStands.org is where you can go. TennesseeStands.org, all one word, TennesseeStands.org. I'll be there February 3rd, speaking there in the Nashville area. So hope to see uh, a good deal of you uh, and that you come by and say hello in the process.
2: All right. So with all that laid out, let's get to it with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What Happened While We Were Away brought to you by a declaration of text dependence. Texas Governor Greg Abbott yesterday issued perhaps his most defiant statement yet regarding the border crisis. Abbott listed his specific grievances with the Biden administration, including specific laws they've neglected to enforce or laws they've broken. Abbott also invoked a few of the framers of the Constitution and the provisions they gave for states to defend themselves from invasion. The overall statement read somewhat like a declaration of independence from the Biden administration's failed order policies. Republican governors of Tennessee, Utah, Florida, West Virginia, Georgia, Virginia, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Idaho, Nebraska, and Montana have all voiced their support for Governor Abbott. However, some, like former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli, are cautioning their audiences and following not to get their hopes up too much, pointing out the legal argument made by Abbott is not the legal argument being made by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton against the Biden administration in court. Furthermore, Citizens for Renewing America, they're a group that's been keeping apprised of the events on the border and formulating policy proposals for years to combat illegal immigration among other things. Wade Miller is their executive director, and he saluted Abbott for embracing Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution for the state's right to self-defense, but says more needs to be done. Miller chastised Attorney General Paxton for not embracing the same legal arguments in courts that Abbott now espouses publicly, and added that mere razor wire and border barriers are a deterrent to illegal immigration, not a repellent, and says more of Texas's actions must now focus on instantaneous deportations of illegals. In other news, the state of Ohio's legislature has now formally overridden Republican Governor Mike DeWine's veto of a bill that bans meatball surgery for minors in the name of gender and bans dudes from competing against girls on women's sports teams. Hats off to the Ohio legislature for doing the right thing and codifying sanity into law. According to the Heritage Foundation and reported by the Daily Signal, a recently completed Freedom of Information Act request shows the Anti-Defamation League specifically named right-wing influencers and figures like Matt Walsh, Shea Reschick of Libs for TikTok and Christopher Rufo of the Manhattan Institute in a request to a Washington state counterterrorism center as purveyors of online hate speech that could lead to violence. California Governor Gavin Newsom reportedly campaigned with Joe Biden in South Carolina yesterday. Biden picked up the endorsement of the United Auto Workers Union during a meeting in D.C. yesterday as well. A survey from late last year from the Public Religion Research Institute found that 28% of Gen Z claimed to be something other than heterosexual. And that's what happened while we were away.
3: Aaron's montage is brought to you by our friends over at Preborn. Last year, because of you, over 58,000 babies were saved because of the support. Uh, blaze uh, folks like yourself gave to preborn. That is absolutely incredible give yourself a hand uh, think about people like Daisy and her husband they decided they never wanted kids and now they found out they were pregnant they immediately thought of an abortion but after uh, they met uh, their baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat their hearts melted and they chose life that baby's name is Jeffrey he's healthy beautiful Daisy and her husband cannot even imagine life without him now that's just one of the success stories that you are responsible for each of these babies Truly miraculous. Every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. And did you know, even with inflation, $28 is all it costs for that ultrasound. That might be the difference between life and death. Let's join together. Help mothers choose life. You can dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby on your mobile phone to make a tax-deductible donation today. Uh, or just do what our family does when we donate. Uh, Preborn.com slash Steve. That's Preborn.com slash Steve all right to the uh to the montage we go and the um the center for renew or, or don't confuse citizens for renewing america with the the center for renewing america so, i'm right? confused yeah i think they're they're two. well actually they link to the same website so They must have
2: changed their name or something. Yeah,
3: they, maybe they changed the name. So who's this group? You know, Reagan a long time ago. Feisty, arnery Reagan of the 70s used to say stuff like, uh, I represent the Republican wing of the Republican Party. These folks represent our, our friend Rachel, now Colley, formerly Rachel Semmel, works there. These folks are the MAGA wing of MAGA. All right, these are the these are the Stephen Miller, I believe, is associated with some of these groups. Serious policy, Russ Vote, yeah. These people really, this isn't a talking point to them. It's not a brand. It's not a grift. All right, these are these are serious intellectual MAGA people. Okay, and I would urge you. I mean, I I I started following Wade yesterday. Um, The analysis that he has given on this has been prescient. And uh, the best I've read so far. Uh, so, and and you can trust Ken Cuccinelli's analysis. Obviously, he was Donald Trump's border czar. In fact, so uh, Wade at Wade Miller, um, the 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 underline dash USMC. Uh, that is his uh, his uh, Twitter sign on. If you want to follow him and stay up to date on what's going on here, Aaron, you did a great job of kind of drawing the distinction between what Texas is, what what Abbott is verbalizing. It, this is rare. Normally it's Ken Paxton who's the one leading in Texas and not Greg Abbott. But in this case, Abbott is verbalizing beyond what Gre- what, what Ken Paxton is advocating legally. And we'll wait and see how that works itself out. There, there's And Aaron kind of did a great job illustrating that distinction. Uh, there's another angle to this that didn't come up in the montage that I would like to address, if you guys don't mind. Because it goes right to what we talked about yesterday. So I woke up this morning, first thing... And, and I see several people with blue check marks on the right pushing back, including Senator Mike Lee, Ed Whaley, who's, isn't he, like, he's the Fed sock guy, right? Uh, From Whalen. National, is it Whaling? Yeah, yeah for National Review, okay. Uh, pushing back that Texas isn't really defying the Supreme Court because the court did not give any kind of order, saying it had to remove the barbed wire. It just said the Biden administration could if it wanted to. Is that technically true? Yeah. Yes. You know what also is technically true? Where in the Constitution does it say the Supreme Court has the power to issue any orders? Where is that listed among the enumerated powers of the judicial branch? Because I I could have sworn we just read a segment from Federalist 78, you know, the guys who actually wrote the Constitution. And didn't we quote that yesterday, Alexander Hamilton? Just explicitly said, <clears throat> yes. courts have been given neither force nor will. We wouldn't give unelected branches of government that kind of power. That would, that would undermine the entire reason we just fought a revolution that was at least partially the, the two driving issues of the American Revolution. No taxation or representation. You know that one because of the slogan. But actually, when you look at all of the long train of abuses of King George... The The one that is mentioned in multiple varieties is the abuse of the judiciary. Because in England, there was a, there was a, at the time, there was a, there was a dual branch, two branch government, parliament and the king. And the, and the judiciary served entirely at the bequest of the king. And at that point in time, parliament had almost no independence either. So there was really just one branch. There were officially two, but but effectively there was just the king. That was it. And so that, that's what they meant by an independent judiciary, folks. They did not mean independent of you. Okay. They didn't mean independent of the Constitution. They meant independent of the other branches so that you would have more power, not the branch. The, you know, like Jesus once said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The judicial branch was made for the people, not the people for the judicial branch. The Constitution's entire schema is the limiting of federal power for the maximizing of individual liberty, whether that's an individual state or an individual person. That's the entire schema of 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 the original schema of the Constitution. What schema mean? Explicit and implied intent. That's what it means. So where in the Constitution do courts have the power to issue any orders? Some of you that have been here for a long time might recall how I would just lose it regularly with our Obamacare talking points in the Tea Party era. Well, Obamacare is too expensive. we can't afford it. That is just an absolutely runny, turd, poopy, Team GOP talking point. So if we were running budget surpluses, if we were running budget surpluses,
4: Obamacare would be okay then? You know what I think about the just too much money argument, Steve? It's lazy.
3: Yes, it is. And it's the kind of argument you make when you don't really believe what it is you're selling. And the consultants told you to come up with some low-lying fruit to send a dog whistle to the gullible base, or at least the base they view as gullible. That's what it really means. And, and, And it will not only, it'll be a dog whistle not only a gullible base will receive, but it'll keep you out of getting too much criticism on CNN and MSNBC. So if, so... Would it be okay for the court to order Texas to not defend its borders? Then, Okay, let's play that one out. In fact, let's take this an extra step, shall we? Here's a a poll for you. Here's a question. If the Supreme Court ordered the governor of Texas to permit tranny surgeries performed by drug mules coming out of the border that were strung out on fentanyl for the express purposes of of allowing those people that are now being experimented upon to be human trafficked into the non-binary tranny porn market, should the Texas governor obey the Supreme Court order? Here are your options. Hell no. And I'm with the Federalist Society. Those are your two options. Fedsoc. I'm with the... Uh, we met the... Da, 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 da. You know, like Amy Coney Barrett. Brett Kavanaugh. Now, what was that poll? 96 to 4, I believe? Yeah. All right. The other four, the 4% that voted... Uh, that said, I'm with Fedsoc, either smart asses or went to law school. Everybody else, the other 96%, You have a degree in what's called common sense. No is the answer. The Supreme Court doesn't have the power to order anything. And that's on purpose. And yet it's made numerous orders over the years. Federal courts do. All kinds of. And Why did we throw justices out in Iowa? What was was that campaign about? Well, Steve, they, they didn't believe in the definition of marriage. That's actually not why we threw them out. The Iowa Constitution actually permits judicial review. They were inclined to give their opinion. What the Iowa Constitution does not permit is judicial command. The Supreme Court, not only of Iowa, not only said that it thought was a violation of the 14th Amendment to restrict marriage to one man and one woman. It then turned right around and issued an order telling the local county clerks in Iowa, all 99 of them, that they now had to act on their legislation. And the Iowa Iowa Constitution is very clear. The only power to enact legislation that exists in our state is in the legislature. No other branch. That's why. They have no power to order anything. And that's on purpose. If they decided everybody named Mike Lee should be stabbed in the heart and they issued that order with the senator from Utah say, well, I mean, we can't violate a court order. If you guys this is, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last year about causes of loss on the right. And who's to blame? And fingers have been pointed at MAGA and the establishment, pro-life voters. Everybody's the Spider-Man give. Everybody, we're all pointing fingers at one another, right? Grifters, or if you're, or you're not a grifter, so you know you don't join in, okay? The those are all factors that need to be examined. Let me tell you what the main factor is. On the right, we don't agree on the things we claim to agree on. That's the number one factor and that predated social media grifting that predated the Tea Party that predated pretty much everything. The Republican Party is an exegetical study in being unevenly yoked. Years and years and years ago, I used to say the party's not a big tent. It's a big tarp. A tent has stakes. That's what keeps it in the ground. There's a foundation there. There's no foundation here. It's a tarp. People run under it to escape the Democrats. A tarp is a temporary shelter or covering. It's not a permanent dwelling. The center doesn't hold. It'll blow away. The right is a consortium of people who hate and disagree with the left. But beyond that, largely cannot agree on what they want to do instead. That's why we often come up with talking points that go against our own premise. Right at the moment. And see, here's the thing politically, because there's not a court order. Technically, there's not a court order. This is actually the perfect time to push this boundary. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yep. The perfect time. Because nothing, you can't be accused of lawlessness or anything. This is the perfect time to point out where you're going to have the least amount of political blowback since there's not a technically not a court order you'll have the least amount of political blowback in saying screw you to the courts it's the perfect moment to do it right now right now top two issue in this campaign depending on the poll that you look at it's one or two it's the economy or the border
4: well you probably just explained paxton's reticence to go all in right there because he isn't it logical he might understand the math you're talking about? And if you legally, I mean, what's preventing him from legally going all the way there and making that explicit later? Probably nothing. But if he goes there now, isn't he detracting from the very that's, logic that, you're that, talking
3: about? That's possible. It's also possible he just went to law school and can't grasp what I'm saying. Because well, uh, I've well, seen that with a lot of righty attorneys. Even, even really good ones. Evergreen? Okay? Good ones that win cases at the Supreme Court that matter. Good ones that get elected senator them name and names, okay, that just can't wrap their mind around, okay, you mean the the, the courts aren't the supreme law that we don't have to do everything they say? Because that's what they were taught. In fact, one of the first things you're taught in law school is a court determines its own jurisdiction. What does that mean? Oligarchy. Perpetual convention constitutional convention you didn't vote on. That's what it means. Tyranny in black robes. That's what it means. Whatever a judge conjures from the bowels of his totally depraved mind is now law and you're screwed. How you like your elections? That's what it means. But see, this is the perfect time, though, because there's technically not an order. This is the perfect time to show the country to blow up the whole narrative that the courts are supreme and not the people. Instead, instead, this morning I log on social media. Actually, actually, no, Beta or Rourke. I'm sorry. No beta or work. Let me do it in my most beta voice. Because this is this. this when, 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 when they said in Revenge of the Nerds, I smell and you know the rest of the line. It wasn't about the nerds. It was about us. Okay. Uh, uh, actually, is that it's not a court order? So I want to make sure it's very clear. We will do whatever you want, courts. Whatever you tell us to do to our children, we will do. We wouldn't possibly disobey. Okay, we're just this is just a strict opinion that has no action behind it. So please stop attacking me, beta or work with your with your six percent support. (laughs) If you want to know why you lose to Abaddon every single time, the political manifestation of Abaddon. What's Abaddon, by the way, the demon that controls the bottomless pit and Christian uh, some Christian eschatologies and legends. That's who Abaddon is. If you want to know why you lose to the manifestation of Abaddon every time, I'm telling you why. The social media grifters, that's a new thing. Okay? Even Fox News boomers, that's a relatively new thing, too. This has been going on for decades. This has been going on since you and I got involved in politics, and we're 50, okay? This has been going on since before Aaron was born. We are unevenly yoked. The other side is evenly yoked. They're just unevenly balanced. (laughs) Okay. But I promise you, zealotry beats, I'm, I'm following the letter of the law of your premise and leave me alone in every history book you've ever read. I promise. Every time. So if you want to know yesterday why I started off in a rather optimistic analysis with an even longer disclaimer before I gave it. I've done this show before. I've done this rodeo before many times. More times than folks in inner city Chicago voted for Barack Obama in 2008. That's how many times I've done this. All right. And so we're already out there trying to under, we're not lawless. We're going to, the court didn't tell us what to do. Great. We're setting the, pre- the precedent that the court determines what's the constitution and not the people we elect. Keep on keeping on. You
4: I, know, I, but you're summing this up. This is why we lose all the time. Yeah, you're summing up in um, uh, Dark Knight Rises when Bane uh, is working with that corporate hack and the corporate hack is yelling at Bane and what does? He, what are you doing? In oh, back? the guy played by Ben Mendelsohn? Yeah, is Ben exactly? Mendelsohn, yes, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, And then Bane just decides to remind him and puts his hand on his shoulder like... Hey, d- do you believe that you are in charge yes see like yes we <laughs> great analogy know, that, that's not just a bad guy thing the problem is we only let the bad guys do that the good guys can step up at any time and do the same thing to yes! the bad guys and say do you really think that you are in charge why do we try it on let's find out we're not a nation
3: of laws and we never have been we're a nation of political will and we always will be Aaron.
2: Yeah, I, I see so many people, very, very smart people, too. And it is a dwindling, um, I would say their influence is dwindling. Um, maybe not enough, but it is dwindling. But a lot of very smart people, trademark, who are operating on a paradigm that has been shattered. And has been shattered for a long, long time. The compact is broken, Abbott explicitly said that in his Mm -hmm. Declaration of Text Dependence. Okay, the paradigm is broken. Okay? So what do you do with that? Do you continue to operate under the paradigm that Wiley Coyote operates under? You know, when he goes off the cliff and then he doesn't realize that gravity still has impact and then very slowly, oh, crap, there's no ground beneath me. Are you still operating under the paradigm that the ground beneath you is still there? Or do you need to change gears? Another pop culture reference i just i just invoked this yesterday off the air with todd Uh, one of the greatest scenes in my opinion of breaking bad is uh i think it's in the last season where hank schrader who is the uh drug enforcement federal agent the brother-in-law of the main anti-hero-ish uh uh, walter white Uh, it's after hank realizes that his brother-in-law has been this meth kingpin for all of these years and goes out to confront him in the desert except they're met by a group of neo-nazi skinheads chaotic evil you cannot bargain with these people but Walter White is operating under the paradigm that he still has power in this game and he starts to beg the neo-nazi skinheads to spare the life of his brother-in-law and Hank looks at Walter White in the middle of the desert as he's got a gun pointed at his head and Hank says to Walter White, Walt You're the smartest guy I ever knew, but you're still too dumb to see he made up his mind 10 minutes ago.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: A lot of people on the right are some of the smartest people you'll ever meet, but they don't realize the left made up their mind what they're going to do to us 10 minutes ago. So you're negotiating against yourself. You're negotiating against yourself. You're trying to cut a deal with chaotic evil. Yep. The social compact has been broken. Deal with it and recalibrate. Yep.
3: I fear until either people are told by their consultants it's politically safe to do that, or people figure out a way to make a serious amount of money messaging that we won't. That's my fear. If you're someone who suffers from chronic pain, what would you give to be out of it? Far too often we deal with that pain by taking medications that can make us drowsy or have other bad side effects. A lot of times these medications also will just mask the pain, which is usually a result of too much inflammation in your joints or elsewhere in your body. So how about something that will actually fight that inflammation, something that won't leave you feeling groggy or weird and could give you some true relief? Well, that's where Relief Factor comes in. It's a daily supplement that helps your body fight pain by fighting inflammation. It's 100% drug-free, and but it was developed by doctors who can prescribe drugs. But they wanted to help reduce and eliminate pain drug-free if they could. Over a million people have tried Relief Factor's three-week quick start. And over the years, 70% of them have seen such great results. They've stuck around long-term because of what Relief Factor did in just three weeks or less. So we're not here guaranteeing the moon, promising you that uh, this is the perfect antidote that you have long awaited. But we think there's at least a pretty good shot. So if you want to see what kind of difference you might see in your pain in three weeks or less. Try the three-week quick start. It's just $20, bucks, nineteen ninety-five, and it comes with a full money-back guarantee. If you don't see great results, you've got nothing to lose here. Uh, just go to relieffactor.com. Take advantage of this offer at relieffactor, relieffactor.com. Megan Basham from Daily Wire is back here on our show. She has a piece over at First Things that I know you're, this was going to knock your socks off. I know many of you are just like, I, this is the end of Don Henley. It's the end of the innocence. I don't know what we'll ever do to find out that people that are trying to pollute the church were paid by the polluters to do so. But alas. It turns out this is actually true and Megan you've connected some of those dots for us. Welcome back to the Blaze. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I always love being here. So
3: Well, we always love having you. So thank you. So let's start with a I mean, this has got to be a, a what in the world possessed you to think, you know, the there are some people with questionable backgrounds <laughs> that are attempting to infuse some some questionable ethics and social teaching into the church. I wonder if it's possible that they might be funded with, you know, by, by some of the sources of these questionable uh, philosophies and ethical teachings. I mean, you obviously had to get into a pretty cynical mood to go down this road, right?
0: Well, okay. So let me back up and start. I'm working on a book that is to come out this summer um, that deals with a lot of these actors who are trying to smuggle leftism into the church. And that requires a lot of research. And I have to read a lot of books that I don't particularly enjoy. And one of them is Atlantic writer uh, Tim Alberta's new book, The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory. And I'm old
3: enough to remember when Tim Alberta called me to get quotes because he was working at National Review back in the day. That's how old I am. But go ahead. That is
0: my mind boggling yes um, so this book is you know it's kind of a hagiography of certain people like russell moore david french are the heroes um people like you uh, pastors who you know are not um, knee-jerk rejecting all of the republican can anyone but nikki haley unless you're on board with nikki haley then you're a divisive partisan actor in the church but um so anyway he wrote this book and as i'm reading it um a friend pointed out Hey, did you notice what he said about this uh, Bible study curriculum that David French, Russell Moore, and their friend Curtis Chang are putting together called the after party. And he noted in the book um, that gosh, because of the divisiveness of the church, they could not get funding from evangelicals to create this Bible study to teach evangelicals how to approach politics. So they had to go to um, secular funders. And he didn't say anything more about it, but you know, huge alarm bells went Mm -hmm. off. So I started going, Okay, who, who did they get money from? Um, so did a little digging and it turns out that the foundations that are bankrolling this quote unquote Bible study are uh, the Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, which mm-hmm. if you are not familiar with them, they are hard left. Hewlett Foundation, which is um, just FYI, the second largest uh, donor to Planned Parenthood. So Yikes. yeah. And uh, and you look at Rockefeller, and you go, okay, the the other types of projects that Rockefeller funds are, um, projects to support queer youth in gender affirming care, things Mm. of this nature. So you have to go, why would these guys be interested in bankrolling a Bible study that's going into churches? And so, um, so I did some digging into that. And then as you look further, you know, they are taking this out and they are, uh, having conferences at churches. I just looked this week, they have a big one coming up in, um, Phoenix this coming weekend I believe with uh Curtis Chang and Russell Moore and their bibles uh, their their bible study after party and all of these pastors are bringing this into their church they're also taking it into Christian colleges and universities um, so that was the question. Why were these foundations interested in this particular curriculum? And also you have to look at who the partners are. So if you go on the after-party website, one of their key partners is a group called the One America Movement. Um, it's this sort of ecumenical group. And I have a problem with this by itself. It's this ecumenical group with um, a, a LBGT affirming synagogue, um, some other a Muslim group, and um, a, a supposed evangelical but he's a guy who founded a a black lives matter chapter in new york and calls jesus a black radical revolutionary and defends rioting so these are the people that this bible study um is partnered with and the purpose of the bible study they say is to reframe christians uh, political outlooks to to help them step back from divisiveness Well, what does that mean? Essentially what it means is we're making it okay to say that, hey, Christians, we can have different viewpoints on how we vote on issues like abortion, if we support pro-abortion candidates. Uh, Curtis Chang, who is spearheading this thing, is himself a Democrat. Uh, He says he's pro-life, but he uh, urged Christians not to vote to recall Governor Gavin Newsom, one of the most pro-abortion politicians in the country. he partnered with the federal government on a project called uh, Christians and the Vaccine, or it was either Church and the Vaccine or Christiansandthevaccine.com, and received a payment from federal agencies for that work. So this is who we're talking about. This is the Bible study curriculum that they're bringing in. And they couch it in this very soft language of we're just trying to overcome political divisiveness in the church. But let's keep in mind, if you have Russell Moore and David French backing something regarding political divisiveness, can you think of any more politically divisive mm-hmm. voices in the church in the last you know, five to 10 years? So that's kind of the overview of this curriculum. All
3: right. Let me ask a question that I'm going to admit up front is dumb. Okay, but okay. just just to play literal devil's advocate here, I I feel like as a point of order it should get asked. Okay, so given the given the uh, the water table that all this is coming from here, this is highly unlikely. All right, okay, but. You know, we we do serve a God that about 200 years before Cyrus was born, named him in the in the prophecies of Isaiah and used one of the worst, most vicious and violent conquerors of the ancient world. okay, as the vehicle by which to return his covenant people back to the land of Israel. okay. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so is it I know this is dumb, but I just want to make sure. Have we looked at their curriculum? Is it is it you know is this is this is this one of those moments where the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous I mean is there is there anything um, (laughs) you're laughing and I can't even get it out with a straight face but is there is there any orthodoxy here at all or is it anywhere from heterodoxy to straight up heresy.
0: Well, you know, so it just came out, and I'm going through the material now. I sat through a seminar, and what it is is it's very soft, sort of fluffy. Nothing so far. Um, so as I'm digging through it, it really doesn't say anything other than what we want to do is avoid political divisiveness. Well, how do you avoid divisiveness? You avoid it by taking, you know, clear stands for the truth. So, you know, if if Cyrus wants to bankroll something that is, hey, we defend the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be an important thing for Cyrus to back, but Cyrus doesn't back that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we don't want to trans the kids. These are subjects that they avoid entirely. Like if you go look at what Russell Moore is doing with Christianity today, they no longer talk about these subjects. Um, So I would say if, if Cyrus is supporting you to do something for the cause of righteousness, that's good. If Cyrus is supporting you to go out and convince Christians, hey, let's all be a little less political. Let's be uh, a little less involved um, in exercising our rights as citizens to shape the public policy in our nation for good. Then I think you should have some questions about why Cyrus wants to see Christians less involved in the political process.
3: So you're describing this is an attempt to co-opt the church, basically, is what this is an attempt to do.
0: Yeah. And I would say it's an attempt to sort of shame Christians from being, you know, vocally outspoken on important issues. But in Megan, the what, what,
3: what's the market for that? I mean, most pastors are already doing that. Right? I mean, m- right. M- most pastors have already n- comfortably numbed. This is the, the, the a hymnal written by Pink Floyd. Most of most of American evangelicalism has already created a comfortably numb, uh, you know, uh, parish of people. They don't, I don't know, know what, this is a redundancy. This is just a more obvious form of what is, don't so say anything, drag queen story time hours across the street during church. We won't even act like it's there. I mean, I just, this is going on in most of evangelicalism anyway. I mean, why is this Bible study even needed.
0: Well, maybe it's just to reinforce it, but I'll also point out the timing, you know, as it, it, when Rockefeller announced this uh, particular curriculum that they're funding, they noted that it was going to unroll in the battleground and they said the battleground state of Ohio. Hmm. Uh, and they said it will be available for free through 2024. Election year. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
0: So, you know, I would say that, you know, this is this is just an attempt to hedge all the bets going. How can we discourage Christians from getting out there and being involved and making their voices heard? So, you know, yes, it is in a certain sense a redundancy. But redundancy is part of how you hammer things into people's brains by repeating it again and again and again, and then that narrative tends to take hold, and then people start to really feel like, oh gosh, you know, if I talk about these things as a Christian, I'm being divisive, maybe I should be a little more quiet, or maybe it really is okay to say that um, whatever sort of ephemeral definition of systemic racism you wanna have in our country is the moral equivalent of the abortion holocaust, because that is essentially what they're doing, saying, well, okay, yeah, all these babies Babies are being murdered, but hey, this guy feels like he's not being heard as a black man, and those things are morally equivalent. Um, so wherever you stand on these particular candidates that we have in our field, really appreciated so much of what Governor DeSantis did. Now we have President Trump, who looks like he's going to be the front runner. However you feel about him as a candidate, the fact that you have these extremely never-Trump voices mm-hmm. out saying. Um, Let's learn how to be uh, less politically divisive. Why would you ever turn to the most outspoken never Trump voices to be your teachers in that going into an election season?
3: And, And just to demonstrate that this isn't a prophetic witness, if if this was being done, even exclusively about the president's public behavior at times. I mean, right. I mean, like the other night I wake up, first thing I see is he's decided to, you know, after winning the New Hampshire primary, decided to at 3 a.m., uh, you know, uh, post something on Truth Social just crushing Kaylee McEnany because, you know, she never carried any water for the former president at all. Right. So if, if, if this is what it was about, that we can behave better, this is we, have, we need better integrity and character of our uh, public officials and Christians should be hesitant about instantly just forgiving all of this and not understanding what it does to our witness. That may in and of itself be a scam, but at least it's a legitimate Entry point to have a form of a conversation, What you're saying is this is being done to get Christians to be silent on the issues, the the issues themselves, not even the candidates, but the issues themselves. The Bible is very clear on that transcend the candidates.
0: Yeah, and to not participate in the political process, in like, they don't necessarily say, "Hey, don't go vote," but they will say, "We just need to learn how to be less divisive." In the sense that, if you're going to call out someone like their friend Michael Ware, Mm -hmm. who is a um, former Obama staffer, he helped spearhead evangelicals for Biden. You're being divisive if you call out a guy like that and say, "Hey." you cannot be a faithful christian and be on the evangelicals for biden bus Mm -hmm. and that's the part that they call divisive and so they're trying to make room to say it is perfectly fine to be a member of the hard left i mean let's be clear about what the biden administration is now Mm -hmm. you can do that and still be a faithful christian and so that's the kind of divisiveness that they're trying to say hey let's not have that anymore let's make room for people to be able to support politicians whose policies and platforms are wicked.
3: (laughs) Amen. Excellent work as always, Megan. Thank you. Good to see you again.
0: Good to see you. Thanks for having me.
3: You bet. Take care. All right, gentlemen, we got about uh, three minutes here. Reaction to the conversation we just had with Megan Basham.
4: um, I'm so glad that she has the spidey sense she has in following up on, you know, what was uh, amounted to a sentence or two in a book she was reading because listen when she says this at the end it's it's not just gray area that David French and company are getting into it's wicked that word she used not rhetorical flourish there are no good answers to this and again it speaks to what we just got done talking with last week with Alistair Begg we're not going to put him immediately in that same camp but what the hell is going on with these people it, it Nothing short of wicked. So there's no good answers to why, but we need to find out the answers nonetheless.
2: Well, we're going to actually find out some of those answers in the next segment, because this conversation actually, Mm -hmm. I think, flows perfectly into what we're about to talk about on Theology Thursday. And I'll, I'll tell you why when we get to that point. It is really, really, really important for every single believer to be very, very sensitive and um, discerning at this time in our country. That doesn't mean that you need to find a demon under every doily, as the phrase goes, uh, but at the same time, there are forces. I, I remember uh, working in and around and attending you know, a, a Christian uh, college up in the Twin Cities and being in that environment, you're kind of numb or uh, maybe a little, a little bit uh, uh, lost in the sauce, if you will about what some of these forces, how pernicious some of these forces are, how ubiquitous some of them are in Christian subculture. But I remember as soon as I left that environment, and really in the years following, seeing how many institutions that were involved in, uh, in different facets of ministry um, that have been just bought off, just straight mm-hmm. up bought off mm-hmm. by the spirit of the age, it is, it's really, really troubling. And so each believer needs to be very very discerning in their own churches in their own families what content they consume (laughs) my wife and i are doing a bible study are doing a study of a book by francis and lisa chan and i had lost track of francis chan i I hadn't really heard much of him in recent years apparently he's doing off doing events with benny Hinn. doesn't change some of the stuff that some of the truth that he has put out there into the ether in the past but good grief if you don't let if you if you let your guard down um things unwind real fast
3: notice almost no one ever falls off the road in a way that makes them less marketable and less popular you ever notice that
2: yeah
4: no no one ever comes you know i'm gonna be more aesthetic why do you die a hero because you were uncomfortable If you get too comfortable, you're going to become the villain.
3: Yeah, if there's one one thing that Benny Hinn's been uh, quite a bit of uh, for the last couple of decades, comfortable. The amount of money he's mooched off of people, you bet. Theology Thursday is next. back here live and on demand with hour two here on blaze tv radio and podcast steve dace here with todd Erz and aaron mcintyre all of you and you can all let us know what you think about what we think though hopefully not all at once by emailing the show steve at stevedace.com d-e-a-c-e like us on facebook me we and gab you can follow me at steve Dace show on twitter getter instagram and tiktok And if you dig the podcast, man, we dig you. And we'd really dig it if you'd leave us a five-star review. And we dig all of you who have and thank each and every one of you. You can also hit subscribe, or if you're tuned in on iTunes, it's follow. That way, every time we do a new episode, it will show up in your feed every single time. I forgot to mention something after the montage last hour that I wanted to bring up really quick on the Gavin Newsom front. The same source, Little Birdie, that I had tell me last year about Nikki Haley and um, her peccadillos and indiscretions that all came out a week ago Friday. And everything he told me is exactly what came out on Friday. That same little birdie tells me last night that uh, the story of Gavin Newsom going to South Carolina to campaign for Biden, there's more to it than that. And that he also made a stop over in Columbia, which I believe is the state capital, isn't it? Isn't Columbia the state capital of South Carolina? So he made a made a, a stop at the state capitol to meet somebody with quote campaign staff in tow, end quote. Any quick thoughts on that or no?
2: The only way that they're going to swap out at this point is at the convention, in my mind. Or they could just say, screw the rules. You know. That's kind of my that's kind of my thoughts because I think we're past the filing deadline for basically everything. I don't know what the play would be why South Carolina would be important at this juncture.
3: I, I don't either. Well, it's it's technically their first primary. Now remember they changed their calendar. Mm-hmm. you know, so, so this is their first primary coming up next next uh, February 3rd, I think is the South Carolina primary
4: I want to. say. I think the most obvious answer is this is just the beginning of his post uh desantis emasculation rehab tour like i could be a two yeah he's not yeah the (laughs) short memory also they have no standards over there than power like is of course he's not done he should be but he's not because Mm -hmm. he'll just goes now and they'll lie about whatever they want to lie about and get on with it well,
3: that's a great segue to Theology Thursday.
4: Yeah. <laughs> All right.
3: We are continuing our series on the Bible study that Dr. Jeremiah Johnston of Prestonwood Baptist and I put together uh, with a, a backdrop of uh, our movie, Nefarious, uh, as the means and the vehicle by which we're going to have this conversation about spiritual warfare. And you can get your copy, by the way, if you want to follow along. If you missed last week, you, it's still not too late. Go get your copy of Know Thy Enemy, a nefarious Bible study. It's available right now at Amazon. Inside each booklet is a code that uh, will give you access to the videos uh, with Dr. Johnston and I discussing these chapters before we get to them. For the sake of time, we are going to uh, act as if you've already watched those videos so that uh, we don't have to play them on the show because that would eat into a lot of our talk time. So let's start there as we talk about session two Know who has the power. In other words, Satan is powerful, more powerful than us, but he is not all powerful. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So as you guys watched session two's video, what stood out to each of you the most about the conversation Dr. Johnston and I had about who has the power?
2: Well, since I brought this up at the, excuse me, at the end of the last segment, we'll maybe start here. The video starts uh, the video session uh, starts with a discussion about faith. and you aptly point out to Dr. Jeremiah Johnston that uh, faith is kind of the currency of of god's economy and and Dr. Johnston uh, points out that um, faith is not just faith in faith. Faith is uh, trust when things are uh, when you're scared or things are unstable. and um, also talked about how uh, how uh, it's, it's often, uh, viewed that when you act out of accordance, out of accordance with how you feel, sometimes that's perceived as hypocrisy when in the, in God's economy, that's actually act uh, acts of faith. When you act out of accordance with what your flesh desires, that's actually an act of faith. And I think that's a good place to, to, to begin this, this discussion. Because I was going to provide a positive example. I think it's too self-serving, so I'm going to go to a negative example that, that kind of rolls off the conversation we just had with, with Megan Basham. And an example of not acting in faith and instead acting in flesh and the consequences of that. And I don't want to make Theology Thursday political, but it's just the example that popped into my head uh, as, as we were having that conversation with, with Megan is that in the aftermath of the 2016 election, now this was not true spiritually for, for all players involved here, but it was true for a few. You could see who made an idolatry or an idol out of Trump and who did not very, very quickly. Either way. Either way. Yeah. And the negative example that I thought of was one David French.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: He has now gone fully apostate. He acted in accordance, and it was easy to see, and I can say this just on the authority of uh, God's word, knowing the fruit of of people, he has produced bad fruit since that moment. Bad fruit. He acted in accordance with what his flesh wanted. His flesh wanted the hatred of a man. I'm not saying that the opposite then is good. (laughs) The idolatry of a man is then the antidote to that. No, it's not. But that's an example, I think a negative example, unfortunately, of, of the difference in faith. There were some who, despite, despite the urge and the desire to continue to pile on vitriol, then decided to go on a more narrow road, just calling balls and and strikes. There were some though, who chose to follow their flesh. That was not an act of faith, that was an act of disobedience and idolatry. And um, I think you can see in the aftermath of that who really um, trusted in the power of uh, of 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 Jesus and the power of God and who did not and just acted on their fleshly desires. Not to make this, again, too political, but that, I think, kind of rolled off of that last conversation nicely.
3: Well, the political process has long from the beginning been a haven for idolatry. Mm hmm. And it's, it's really simple. Why? What's the second greatest power on earth? Now, <clears throat> it's the chasm between number one and number two here in this case is uh, um, eons, okay? But the second greatest power on earth is government. It is. The idea of coining money, raising armies, taxing citizens, sl- enslaving people, <clears throat> the, the other than God the number two source of power on the earth has always been government. Now it's a very, very, very distant second, but second it is nevertheless. I mean, even go back to the old Testament, for example, when Moses is leading the Israelites through Canaan, you see, or Joshua, uh, you, you see they often encountered Kings that had Baal before their name. I think of Baal Peor as one example. Well, Baal means Lord. Okay. Okay. Baal was a demonic false god, along with his consort Asherah. So what that king is basically saying is, I am either related to Baal, my name's Peor, I'm either related to Baal, I'm a proxy of Baals, I'm aligned with Baal, my power comes from Baal. So, so the, the, this sort of ascribing of idolatry to the state has been going on. Really, since the beginning of our species, and we are we are we are attracted. And and why why is why is politics a haven for idolatry? Because we're both afraid and attracted to power. That's why. Todd, do you want to respond to any of that, Aaron? Before I move on to Todd, no, that was great. Okay, Todd, what stuck out to you about the video?
4: Well, first of all, just production wise. Now that I watched two of them. Just, it, it, maybe it seems like a no-brainer, but the way that it's set up right out of the gate with the, the scenes from the movie itself, just so smart. Um, Thank you. It just accomplishes so much. You are re- it, it, you're just ready. You're ready to go. Um, I think the line uh, when uh, Pastor Jeremiah says, we, we, we don't have faith in faith and where that conversation goes is really, really important. I, I uh, it is a, 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 we had a painting on our uh, wall when we were a kid, a, uh, a ph- photograph of majestic mountains. Um, and it, it, I don't remember who the quote was from, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly a commentary of what you can find throughout scripture, but it is not the greatness of my faith that moves mountains, but my faith in the greatness of God. Now, that sounds beautiful mm. and poetic and is a nice picture, but that goes to the heart of the book of Job, one of the oldest if not the oldest books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's He's had a lot taken away from him, a lot, that which he loves the most. He's got issues with it. He's not. The, the book of Job, you read it. He, he he He's complaining. He doesn't understand what the bleep is going on kind of thing but he's God and I'm not is what that keeps coming back to he's God and I'm not he's God and I'm not so the <laughs> the faith is is hanging on by a thread in his you know reasonless center he's got questions mm-hmm. he's not getting answers he's deeply frustrated but still faith hanging on so it's not that's the point. When, we, when Pastor Jeremiah says, we don't have faith in our faith. It's not, Steve, how many, you, you do it in a very clever way. It's not my grand theological discourse, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking about when you do that. It's that relationship with God mm-hmm. specific. Mm-hmm. That's what, when it gets winnowed down, as he said, to the, all his smarts, gone. No understanding of anything. But when the the, the psychiatrist James there And his most desperate time in the course of his life still just says, God, help me. A miracle occurs three times. It's not how grand or great your faith is. You're not ready for sainthood. James isn't ready to be a saint then. That's for damn sure. But he had all the faith he needed at the time he needed it most because it's not about us. It is about God.
3: Easier to have that faith. When you don't have access to worldly possessions and agency, it's never easy to have that faith at all. That's why I said easier, easier to have that kind of faith when you lack access to worldly possessions and agency that may convince you that you have therefore Achieved a certain level oh, of yeah. worldly well, success or significance, that the world will be okay with your faith. You see what I'm yeah, saying, yeah. and that, that 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 those things are symbolic of you being rewarded, and therefore you're not an enemy of the enemies. Yeah. When nothing could be further from the truth. And you guys yeah. bring
4: up the de- <clears throat> last time was about don't let the g- believe the g- devil has too much power. Mm-hmm. This time you mentioned explicitly. Mm-hmm. Make sure you understand how much the power has, because ultimately God and Job through God is victorious in that story. But is based on just where we're living right now and what you just mentioned with David French, where we just got to discuss and recently with Alistair Begg, is the devil wrong based on the premise you just said? And he's pretty comfortable right now. I think if we test him, we might find out what that faith is really all about. Is the devil wrong in asking that question? No. no, the devil knows exactly what he's doing. He says he's when he goes to Vegas with that. Analysis, he wins a lot.
3: Mm-hmm. A lot. I mean, I think of I think of David French, who in in other eras was a frequent guest on this show. Yes. And <clears throat> vetting me, him he,
4: to perhaps be president of the United States. He
3: was. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy that after he already did a military tour. Now he's older. He's got a family. He's got kids. And after nine eleven, reenlisted again because of the threat to the country. There was a period of time where I, I know this is like when I say to Aaron and his generation, you know, there was a period of time that California was a red state. Yeah. Okay, there was a period in time where David French was the hard right culture warrior at National Review, yeah. the hard right culture warrior. I mean, he was, he was, basically. One of the last few, uh, you know, after he after was Ted th- Cruz before Ted Cruz, in kind of the respects, attorney
4: yeah. you brought in to argue the case. In that some respects, be you're right.
3: I mean, I mean, after um, oh, who's the original founder of National Review, um, William F. Buckley? Yeah, after Buckley's passing, in many respects, he was one of the last reasons to continue reading that thing. But he allowed, he just allowed Trump to break him. There's just no other way, no other way to put it. And, and when he was called out for that, you have a choice. Like I I read today that Alistair Begg is doubling down on the, yes, you should go to tranny weddings thing. Does anybody believe if someone called Alistair Begg's radio program and said, pardon me, and said, I am, um, should I go to the wedding, uh, of my, uh, brother, who left his wife and three young children and is now uh, um, getting married uh, to his mistress who's 20 years younger than him. Is it okay to have any reservations about that? Do you think Alistair Big would say, oh, you should go there and show them that uh, you're not judgmental? You think he would say that in that context? No. No, he would not. There'd be a much more nuanced, complicated answer of how to work your way through that because of the shameful thing that this man had done to his family. So why are we not having that sort of conversation here? And now you're doubling down. And see, these are these are always the points where these are like inflection points in your faith walk. Am I gonna stay on the narrow road or not? And and do I think it's my road or that I am blessed to be on that road? Because I am okay. not my own. Or that other things I've done, you know, I think, again, in my, my own personal situation. Amy and I got to the point that we literally had mapped out a divorce. And I remember think, I think I was I would think to myself, what would I come on the air and say to my audience? Now, I, I certainly would not be the, the first national conservative host to not be on his first wife. Okay, it's hard being married. Very hard. But. I might be the first one who. I might have been the first one who is explicitly invoking a biblical worldview as the basis for his program to do it. And how do I justify this? How do I explain that? And I know some of you, when you've heard me talk about this after the fact, you're kind of I've heard from you. You're stunned. You had no idea this was going on. You know why? because if i got anything right during that period in time when i was doing a lot of things wrong it was i was internally i didn't want this to compromise that if that if i was going to if i was going to have a moral failing i didn't want it to compromise the public witness i was proclaiming that i'm not going to reverse engineer my belief system because i suck at it you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. like i'm not going to say hey because i don't want to admit i suck and i failed therefore the things that i failed at really aren't failures you know, I, I, I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go down that road. I didn't allow myself to go down that road. I kept going to church. I kept hanging out. You know, going, listening to the word. I kept, you know, the whole time I'm contemplating how to just explicitly violate it in one of the most public ways I possibly could. I, I understood though at the same time that this needed to be a personal thing to me, and it. And if I fail, it's because I failed and now I'm not going to market and brand failure. <clears throat> Pardon me, <clears throat> man. I'm not going to market and brand failure as success or not a failure, but just stuff that happens that we have to na- navigate. Does that mm-hmm. am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time. And I'll just say most because I can't think of a time that this was not true. But I'm not God, so I don't know what the future holds. The vast majority of time that, a, that a, a a leader comes forward, particularly a male, a male leader comes forward and just says something on a just just retreats weirdly and won't let it go on a hot button moral flashpoint. It's because they're compromised in their private life. I, I mean, I can't think of a time that that wasn't the case. It's either they're involved in something. Someone they love is involved in something that, you know. And this is then when, when, when it, when the Bible says David is a man after God's own heart, this is, we got an email about this last week from a woman who's like studying the Bible for the first time. And she's like, what is going on, man? This David guy is pretty terrible, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He is he makes a ton of mistakes. Okay. So how is that a man after God's own heart? for all the mistakes David makes and there are volumes of them i mean terrible mistakes a failure to police his own family to the point he faces a civil war against one of his own sons um he he he's essentially puts a hit on a woman's husband so he can have her when he's already got Tons of wives and concubines he can have access to whenever he wants. Even on his deathbed, David gives his son Solomon basically a kill list to say right after your king, kill all these people. So how is this a man after God's own heart? For all of those mistakes, and they are voluminous, not one time do you see David attempt to retcon the word of God to justify himself. Never happens. Even when the baby he first conceives with Bathsheba is stillborn. He prays and mourns that the baby will be okay when the baby is stillborn. He comes out. The Lord, this is the Lord's justice. It's deserved. I own it. That's the thing. You may be in a moral pit that you think you can't ever get out of. The reality is, if you're going to be in this thing we call flesh, you're going to be in a moral pit. Unavoidable. It's when we, and, and even when we're in those things, I mean, if you go back and listen to our shows, you know, May, June, July, August of 2020, when all this was going on in my private life, that is some of the greatest work I've ever done. That was right at the height of our pushback against COVID. That is some of the greatest work I've ever done. Maybe the most impactful work I'll ever do was during that period of time. In my whole career, as long as I get to get to do this up until who knows when. Is it tomorrow or another 20 years? I don't know. Why? Because while I was in a moral pit, I never sought to justify it. I tried to follow David's lead. I never tried to retcon it and say, you know, actually, you know what? My moral pit's not that bad. It's pretty good. No, I I I knew it was a moral pit. Now, I, I dug myself in there pretty deep anyway, almost, and almost fell all the way into it. But never tried to justify it. You guys never saw me come in here off the air. I don't even know how much of that you guys were even aware of at the time. Where I Was there ever a moment where I just kind of suddenly took a different position on something, and you looked at me like, what are you talking about? Where'd that come from? Nope. You know why? This is why. I sucked, but I was willing to embrace my own suck and not spread it elsewhere. And not say, I'm unwilling to embrace my own suck. Therefore, I need you to validate my suckitude. Because we're going to redefine my suck to say that it doesn't really suck that much. Not doing that. And, And that's eventually, I think, how God got me out of that pit. Is I never gave my conscience over fully to this. That now I'm going to retcon it as it's not that bad or maybe even good.
4: And bring this directly back to the movie. Yep. What you never did, if you go rewind the tape about an hour-ish before what happened to James there, you remember what he did. And people have questions upon the first viewing of the movie, processing what happened. But it was more than an hour earlier, and it seemed like nothing happened. But what did James do? Okay. Inhabit Inhabit me. Mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about mm-hmm. you never fully went there mm-hmm. uh again the, the layers of this movie i look, we're just what you can glean out of one scene and the dots you can connect are, are simply staggering it, this movie is it, it is it, I, it saddens me the amount of people because of the genre it's from the number of christians who say I, either that's not for me or some of them said steve you're You're, you're anti-Christ for even bringing this level of demonism into discussion. I honestly, I pity you for that because there's so much to learn about how much God loves you.
3: You know, I haven't told you this yet, so I'll mention it now. Funny you should mention that. We were, Jeremiah and I were contacted by one of the largest uh, Christian family radio programs in the country. When this released last fall about... Coming on, they're on like 900 stations or something about coming on and uh doing like a two-hour broadcast on our Bible study, which would be a huge promotional thing mm-hmm. they uh, they booked us they they they, uh, they uh, are based in Florida, so they booked us for a- April months in advance. I got an email from them yesterday.
4: I honestly, this is the first, Steve, no, is te- yeah, you have, you this is not set setup. I had no idea. No,
3: no i have not. The only people who know about this are those of us that worked on this project and my wife. No one else knows. I've not told you guys. No. Um, hey, Jeremiah and Steve, hope all is well in your worlds. I'm reaching out because regrettably, I'm not going to be able to do that interview with you two uh, on Know Thy Enemy as planned. While I believe some listeners would surely benefit our majority audience of young families, not to mention radio stations and networks would push back hard on a Bible study based on an R rated movie with scary themes, inappropriate for younger ears. I'm sorry for not catching it earlier. And I regret any inconvenience it causes. I have the deepest respect and appreciation for both of you. I wrote back one question to which I never got a response. Did you actually see our movie? Did you actually see it? By the way, do you know who was a guest on this program last week? You, you, you can't make this up. David French. Oh, no. You can't make this up. Alistair Begg. Yeah. The very same week that he told people to go to trainee weddings, he was a guest on the program. So that's not, that's not too scary. It's not too scary for one of the most respected Christian ministers who we just had basically give the theological State of the Union at the Leadership Summit here in Des Moines last summer was Alistair yeah. Begg. He was the one theological speaker amidst all the candidates. So he it's not too scary to put on your stations for all of your young families to hear the guy that says go to tranny weddings, not not go to coffee with your tranny lost friends, not take your lost tranny friends out to dinner or try to reach them. Go to their sacrament sacrilege and affirm it. Show up and be a part of them defiling God's sacrament of marriage. Okay? That's not too scary. They can all hear that. But but they, they can't hear what the enemy has to say and, and what we can do about it. They some, can't hear that. Some though.
4: words from the movie are on the tip of my tongue. Who said them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nefarious. That's, That's why, why you're you are losing. losing.
2: Yeah. Yep. And this goes back to how we started this conversation. All of this... All of this, turning away from the truth, whatever context it's in, comes from a lack of actual faith. We know how to tell the truth better than God. We know how to feng shui and put the right syllables in the right order better than our maker.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: No, it's backwards. We fear men. Too many of us fear men. Too many of us fear, um, fear things that ought not be feared if truly the Holy Spirit is within us. That's why you're losing. That was my favorite, favorite line from the movie. And we're losing a lot, and we're con- going to continue to lose if we keep fearing man. And it comes fundamentally from a lack of faith.
3: We're practicing safe sermons. Just slapping a condom on it. Safe sermons. That's what we're doing. Safe. Keep it safe. If if, if nefarious with hell and damn is said once and twice, and and, and there's two smoking scenes, if, if that is too dark for you, there are whole sections of the scriptures then that you simply won't teach that are much more vivid about darkness than we are in our film. And sometimes it's God rebuking that darkness in the most in-your-face terminology you could possibly imagine, but here we are, and you're right. That's why we're losing. Well, you guys know I love my miracle-made sheets they came on board last year man we put those puppies to the test during one of the hotter summers we've had in Iowa in recent memory and yet it's the first time we lived in the same home for 17 years it's the first time ever I didn't have to do the ceiling fan to augment the AC because of the temperature temperature Regulating sheets with NASA inspired technology from Miracle Made. And so you might wonder okay, that's great. You know, they got the cooling stuff, but what about this time of year when in Iowa you don't need any help with cooling? Fantastic. Again, they're just, these things are just awesome, man. I absolutely love them and they're comfy too. So don't want to bury the lead. It's not just that they do a great job making sure you're at the right temperature every night to get the best possible sleep, but they're real comfy too. Oh, and that same silver infused fabric uh, that uh, uh, helps with the temper regulation, regulation, temperature regulation, I should say, not with my temper, but the temperature. Uh, it also helps uh, in, in keeping the amount of bacteria down, up to 99% of it, in fact, too. So you can't beat it. TryMiracle.com slash DACE to try Miracle made sheets today. And when you order there at TryMiracle.com slash DACE, you're going to save over 40% off. And if you use the promo code DACE in addition to that, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20% off. You cannot beat it. Trymiracle.com slash DACE is where you want to go. Trymiracle.com slash DACE. And with that, it's time for three non political questions.
4: We all have questions.
2: Who am
3: I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny.
0: Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto morality would you expect
3: to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. And that means it's time for my oldest daughter Anastasia, we've only got her a few more weeks because she is about ready to give birth to a baby human so until then we'll take advantage of uh, the time we have with her and good to see you again sweetheart how are you
1: good had my first unsolicited tummy touch the other day the doctor's office that hasn't happened yet is it it it
3: unsolicited if it's at a doctor's office was it a medical professional and someone in the waiting
1: room it was just somebody she had walked in the door and it was just somebody passing by just an old but it was an older lady so okay. I let it go. It wasn't yeah. as weird because she yeah. was like a nice grandma looking type. But that has not happened yet in public. Like an unsolicited, just let me like touch you without let me, asking Let me rub you. your
3: orb. Yes.
1: <laughs> so that was, it was a little odd. Kind of like a, whoa, you know, like no, no square moment. <laughs> Do you have to call
3: for a fair catch? Hey, halo, halo. Yes.
1: <laughs> but no, she, and then she was like, wow, you're, you're getting big. You're big. I was like, whoa, <laughs> thank you. Okay. See you later.
3: Is that <laughs> is that kosher to do that to people you don't know? To just touch no. their, rub their pregnant tummies because it seems <laughs> kind of weird to me. But maybe you know. Well,
4: I think it clearly is on some level. I'm not saying this objectively, but clearly the ruling has been out women on women contact in that world. It's like some you're in the club now like i mean if a dude comes up and does that to you then you know that's there's i don't care if that it's great yeah. if it's grandpa or anybody but no i mean i don't I, this is this is a very common tale amongst amongst the gals so
1: i also get a lot of just like looks from moms like with newborn babies or other pregnant moms like almost kind of like how you were talking about like we're in the same club like yeah. i'll be walk- waddling it's by. like it's
3: like a nod it's kind of just like a,
1: this like it's just kind of like a <laughs> like a respect thing and you know i'm just like so it kind of this cool like we have this unspoken bond well there you go or some moms with their babies will hold them up like be ready <laughs> it's, it's coming you know but it's good but going going good so
3: well you are gonna have plenty of support you know that uh, so much support you're gonna probably have to draw boundaries and say leave <laughs> us alone Stephen okay? and
1: I have had that talk many a
3: time already. we I, I, we were at a, at small group last night and your mom mentioned that uh, You had asked her if you could, uh, if she could watch uh, Autumn for you guys to go out on like an anniversary trip later this year. And your mom was like, I told Anna, if the sentence begins with, can you watch Autumn? Just assume the answer is yes. All right. So there you go. Right. All right. You got three non non-political questions for us. Go ahead.
1: All right. My first question for you guys is how do you think things would be different if we didn't have social media? In this specific year and time and everything.
3: Um, we'd be I, more sane. I think we'd be more sane. I think, I think for what we do, things would be a lot less toxic. If only, if, if only because we wouldn't have access to know all the time. In fact, you know what? Let me do this. I got a call yesterday from a reporter who is writing something for the Columbia Journalism Review. And uh, it's about how elections have essentially just everything's become nationalized, you know, whether it's the demise of local newspapers and local media, the advent of social media. And him and I got to talking about that. And uh, and one of the things that we we both mentioned is in a in a past era unless you put a sign in your yard and not an era not too long ago, like when you were growing up really, mm-hmm. unless you put a sign in your yard, chances are I had no idea what you thought about issues. I mean, I just wouldn't have a clue. And it would often not even come up, you know? Um, and so like my first year playing T-ball for South Des Moines Little League in the summer of 1981, nobody had a friggin' clue who voted for Jimmy Carter or Ronald Reagan. No one had a clue. That was just, no one even knew. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But now because of social media, you don't know, you have to put a sign up in here. Everybody knows that everybody's thinking all the time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so you've, and so, you know, because like he said to me, I know, because he was coming from the left. I know, therefore, if you've got a MAGA flag, you watch Fox News and you hate me. And I said, well, I can flip that around. I know if you've got a trainee flag and you're, mm-hmm. you watch MSNBC and you hate me. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. this, this, all of this now is omnipresent. There's never a break where you're just my neighbor. Yeah. You're just a relative. You're, you, you there, there's, there's, every, Now with social media, everybody's thoughts, you're like a NASCAR driver with all these logos the minute you get out of the car. I kind of know, you know. And 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 I'm not really permitted anymore to just treat you as a normal person, where I might build a commonality with you before we even get to the fundamental stuff we disagree on.
4: You are describing Oran McIntyre's total state. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. And as far as how things would be different, we'd be less crazy. Well, it, uh, obviously, social media on multiple levels uh we've it's been well documented how it's particularly bad um for teenage uh girls and matt walsh is uh, to bring up an, uh, another um pundit within our circle but he's right it, he's uh, the, transgenderism is basically like weapons grade narcissism mm-hmm. and social media makes us deeply narcissistic look at the pictures we 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 curate the image of ourselves I mean we we, whether it's an actual photo filter but we filter everything how we say how we come across we'll think we'll try to sound really deep about something that other uh, we would have never had an opportunity to say Mm -hmm. uh or we just got used to saying things clumsily. now it's it's it it's it's not reality in many and so when you get used to your regular life not being reality how, that's exactly how you get into transgenderism being normative. There are things that your
3: generation and the one, and the one after you, that you guys will hop on those phones or on social media. And, and we, do you count like Snapchat and stuff like that as social mm-hmm. media too? Okay. There are things you'll say on Snapchat and IG and stuff to each other would have never happened in any other mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. Why? Because someone's face is getting rearranged. You know what I'm saying? Like someone, some, someone's parents are pissed because I can't afford the orthodontist appointment for the amount of teeth that you are now missing for saying stuff like that. And so there was, there was a, a kind of a filter system. Yeah. You kind of just knew don't write checks with your mouth. Your body cannot cash, you know, and, and, and to the training angle is a big thing too. And you're going to have to watch this with Autumn and any other children you have. A lot of this comes from, so if, if when we were growing up, even as recent as Aaron and Aaron's what are you 30 Aaron? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's yeah. only 30. Okay, so he's only, he's not that much older, he's, he's less than a decade older than you are. When we were all growing up, of course you're going to notice, if you're in the locker room, you're going to notice the other, somebody else's nakedness, even if it's of the same gender. Okay, and no other era until social media... Would I have, have had any thought at all about broadcasting, hey, I noticed another boy's penis in the in the in the mm-hmm. in the locker room, or I noticed another girl's breasts in the locker room. There, even if that happened and you had an internal dialogue going on, there was no place where you felt like I could instantly broadcast this to everybody without it sounding and looking odd. And so you kind of just kept that to yourself. And and if it was just temporary or a phase, it just kind of went away because there was no place to instantly pour gasoline on it now now i jump on tiktok i make a video okay yeah. a bunch of peers of mine jump in my comment section and say stuff like well you're gay well i'm not, or even worse hey i've you're uh, you're really a girl trapped in a boy's body that's why you noticed that guy's penis in the boy's locker room mm-hmm. you know this better than us this is your generation i don't want to push back on that because those exact same people that I get affirmation from on my TikTok feed are getting get, Are you a homophobe? Are you a bigot? What's wrong? with? It? There's nothing wrong with it at all. You should be proud to do that. Well, now, I, now I'm kind of just the gravity inertia takes over. I go down the road. I talk to my guidance counselor. She feeds that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. None of this was possible in any previous era of human behavior until this one, you know, and that doesn't mean there have not been benefits to social media. I I mean, but I would say now with all the censorship we face all the time, it's a complete loss leader now, because at least we could have said the amount of truth that we can tell via social media may cancel some of this stuff out. That's not true anymore.
2: So I, I kind of view this as social media is as social media does. And I saw this post the other day. It's actually just yesterday. It's from an account named Redeemed Zoomer. And I went on their profile and saw a few of their other tweets and it looked pretty base. So I gave them a follow. But. Uh, It was this post. Twitter is evil. I post about God's grace and it gets like four likes. I post an edgy argument or political take and 200 likes, 190 quotes, 20 wars in the comments. Yep. Twitter does not reward the fruit of the spirit. It rewards chaos. And I think that could probably be extrapolated to um, or transferred to other social media as well. But the reason why I say... Social media is as social media does, at least in the context of Twitter, the stuff with the censorship is not as true that you just pointed out, Steve. It's not as true now as it was two years ago. So it is where you can inject good ideas. But what it ends up being most of the time is just the rewarding of chaos. And so I I guess if I had to, I'd probably hold on your question. I know it's not a cell hold submission, mm-hmm. but it can be good but it's usually used for evil
4: if you're on twitter for getting likes you got to reevaluate a lot of your life forget just twitter because that that place is a rock that's that's a lot of people yeah by the
3: way that you just spoke
4: that uh, that's what yeah
2: you know in the, in the, the the commentary about not knowing what people's politics were uh you know 30 years ago versus now you know everybody you know I could say on the one hand, that's actually a good thing because it causes us to not be as comfortable and just uh, we're doing our pleasant, Valley Sundays. There are real devils that walk among us. On the other hand, the, partisans, uh, the, the partisanization, if that's even a word, of everything, mm-hmm. is that a net good? No, we problem. actually need some safe spaces yeah. now. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. yes. you know, I can see this both ways. That's why I'm kind of hemming and hawing. I can't really, I think it can be used for good, mm-hmm. but most of the time it's just not.
1: Hmm. All right. So my second question for you guys is what is your reaction to this movie plot? I'm going to read to you the synopsis. A young man gets recruited into a secret society of magical black people who dedicate their lives to making white people's lives easier. Although initially enamored with his new powers, he begins to question the value of using supernatural means to do the very thing he's felt obligated to do his whole life.
4: Uh, dumb is that the society of uh
1: that is yes yes it is, is. Yeah. that the
4: new jesus movie <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. this is called the american society of magical negroes oh what no it's
4: there's a new movie out there that's a,
1: oh it's a the book one of i clarence told you
4: about yeah clarence yeah. there we go yeah. yes yes different heresy yeah let's i'll try <laughs> to keep up all right i'll pass on that yeah that's my thought
1: no this movie is coming out next month and I watched an interview that the director did with the main character saying he wants white people to experience a bit of the discomfort that black people feel when seeing this movie.
3: I'm sure lots of people will I'm see it. Gonna, I'm sure lots I'm gonna, of white people will see it.
4: I'm going to make a black person uncomfortable by not giving them my money. So there you go.
2: <laughs> I'm going to pass. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Yep. And then my last question for you guys is what is your prediction for the Lions versus 49ers game this weekend?
3: I just think as I've Kind of hinted at this week. It, it does remind me a lot of when Michigan finally made the playoff and took on Georgia, who was just a team that played the same kind of style they do, but was just more advanced in, in where their program was at the time, and uh, and and the and the talent level was just a, just one notch higher. And it, I kind of feel like this is the same thing. The one caveat to that is if Debo Samuel does not play, but I think that he will, and I do think we have an advantage at quarterback. But I kind of feel like the the total advantage uh, is with the 49ers, and it, just, it does kind of feel like it's their time. They've been close a lot here in this window. It kind of feels like it's their moment, and maybe we're still kind of a year or two early yet. So I, I would pick the 49ers on Sunday.
2: It is much closer to 50-50 than what the line is, which I think is yes. minus 6, minus 7 for the 49ers. There's one quarterback in this game that's actually been to an NFC championship game before, and that's Jared Goff with the Lions. He went there with the the Rams. There's a definite advantage at quarterback. And if there's one thing that Brock Purdy has not been good at, it's a consistent pass rush in his face. And that's what the Lions are really good at. So if you can get in his head early, uh, there's – I don't see much of a reason why the Lions shouldn't be in this till the end.
4: Agreed. Absolutely agree. I said as much well, yesterday. I hope you guys are right, obviously. They have to run yeah. the ball. Though. They have to run the ball. Good job. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. All right.
3: Gentlemen, we have about 90 seconds left. Any final thoughts on today's program or anything else we discussed?
2: Any predictions for the Chiefs-Ravens game?
3: Looking at what the Ravens have done to the best teams on their schedule, I mean, the one game we played this year where we just didn't belong on the field with the other team is when we played them.
2: Okay. The Ravens blew out the 49ers. Yeah. That was one the, of the games I was yeah. almost
3: the same margin yeah. of victory against the 49ers they had on the road, they had against us at home. Uh, I just, I, yeah. it kind of feels like it's their year, too. They've been close a lot of years, and it feels like it's there. It's Lamar. It's finally Lamar Jackson's time to punch through, is what it feels like to me.
4: If I had to pick, I'd pick Ravens, Lions, Super Bowl. Lions by like three. But Ra- I, there's, I Patrick Mahomes, amazing. This is just Chiefs. He's 13 they, they, they don't, one and one is a yeah, road underdog they don't, in his career. They don't pucker, but they're 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 not at full strength. I just the Ravens would have to pucker big time, I think, to lose this game.
2: Yeah, the only reason I'm not super confident in, in that game is because of Mahomes, but uh the margin for error with this Chiefs team is not what it right, was. Exactly. The last That's a few great way years. of putting it. Great way of putting it. There's that.
3: Have you guys seen this Babylon B headline? Ted Cruz grows out mutton chops in preparation for Civil War. That's (laughs) nice. The the picture, man, is good. Oh, yeah. It does. What was that Civil War account that used to do Civil War letters back home? Oh, Andrew Luck?
2: Yeah, that's right. The
3: Andrew Luck one. That was a great account. That was a great account. All right, we're going to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, Romans 828.
4: This is Steve Dace